So whoever is responsible for the decor of Front Range Alliance Church today, thank you. Thank you, it looks great. It, uh, it caught me a little by surprise. I mean, I knew it was coming, but walk in and see the, uh, the big Christmas tree back there. And I realized when the Featherlands in the video, when they wished us a Merry Christmas, I realized this is the second Sunday after Thanksgiving that I have not wished you Merry Christmas. And that may not mean much to you, but it said something to me because I love Christmas. I love this season. And I thought, why, when he said that, why have I not been saying that? And, and I was talking to Maureen a little bit before the, the service, and uh, we were just talking about how this year has been so strange. Uh, maybe strange is not the right word. And it, it, I, I'm just not there yet. Uh, I'm not in the Christmas spirit. Yesterday, sitting uh, in my living room, I said, why are we not playing Christmas music? It is after Thanksgiving, is it not? It's allowed. I make a big deal of that. You're not allowed to play it before Thanksgiving, but the day after Thanksgiving, you know, I like to flood the airways in my home with Christmas music, and we've hardly played any. And we put it on yesterday, and it just, I don't know. It just seemed odd. I don't know why. Anyway, Merry Christmas. Well, to quote an up-and-coming songwriter, Gabe Gooden, man, it's been quite a year, huh? <sighs> what a year. Thinking back to 2020, and, and, and we're not done yet. I mean, that's kind of the scary part, right? We've still got three weeks or so left of this, but thinking back to where we've been this year. It's been heavy. It's been hard. There's, there's the reality of the things and then there's the fear of what might be. And that seems to be perpetuated every day, every week, more fear of what might be. And there's the very real experiences of job loss for some, uh, for virus for some. And then there's just the uncertainty and one of the things, as we continue to hear occasionally about revisiting the whole lockdown idea and going back into quarantine, we hear, hear our leaders say that more and more. One of the things that's becoming pretty clear is that the first full lockdown led to some severe consequences in addition to just economic. As we begin to see how many people live in great discouragement, despair even, troubled hearts, and even suicide because of the loneliness and the uncertainty that comes. We all know what, what quarantine can do to people. If you have a, a family situation that is thriving and wonderful, then quarantine is, is not that bad. And, we enjoyed being forced to just be together for several weeks as a family, but not everybody experiences that. Or if you don't have a family, the loneliness, and it's just heavy and it's hard, and the world doesn't know what to do with that. They have no real solution. We as Christians have the solution, but we've got to take it. And my mind goes to the psalmist, as, as so often we do when we're 
uh, troubled, when we're weighed down with things of life, we go to the Psalms because David articulated so many wonderful things in his own uh, despair. And one of the places we go is maybe Psalm 42. You know that when it begins with, as the deer pants for the water, so my heart longs for you, O God. And then he says this in verse 11, why are you in despair, O my soul? And why have you become disturbed within me? Some of your translations say, why so downcast, O my soul? Why so depressed? Why are you weighed down? Well, if you read the rest of the psalm, he, he tells us he is in great fear. There is threat to his well-being. But as he comes toward a conclusion in this psalm, and by the way, this same verse, exactly the same words, occur earlier in the psalm again, and then in, the, in uh, Psalm 43. So this is a recurring theme for David. He asks himself the question, why are you in despair, and why have you become disturbed within me? And then he points to the right direction, right? Hope in God. Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him. He trusts the Lord. He places his faith in the Lord. He points himself toward God saying, I know the solution is coming. Notice what it, how he describes God. The help of my countenance. Now we don't use the word countenance much today. It means face, appearance. What happens when you're down? Your face is down. Now, some of us maybe can hide it better than others. Some of you, your, your face tells the entire story. Everywhere you go, everybody can see, ooh, they're really struggling. And all of us, when it gets bad enough, our whole countenance, our demeanor, the pacing of our, our, our words, the phrases we choose, everything about us is kind of gloomy and down. And David here says, I put my hope in God who will lift my countenance. He will make me experience the joy of gladness again. I trust in him. That's the right place to go. How often do we go other places? We go to man's methods. We think men Maybe those who are trained in particular areas, they are the ones that can lift our countenance when our souls are weighed down. But they can't. Only God can bring hope in the midst of, his, of the trial. Now, I know you all well enough to know that you would have answered that if I had asked you, where do we go when we're in despair? You'd have said, to God, of course. We know the right answer, but we don't always go there, do we? Or sometimes it takes a while. We try other methods first, and then finally we come to our senses and realize, what am I doing? It's only in God. Well, why do we do that? Because we forget. As some gentleman in this body has told me on more than one occasion, I have a really good forgetter. My forgetter works really well. Well, when it comes to these kinds of things, we all have good forgetters. This reminds of another psalm 
that starts off similar to this one, Psalm 103, where David says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. I love this in these two Psalms. I love the fact that David is talking to himself. He gets that? Why so downcast, O my soul? I'm talking to my soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. You know how much better we would be if we would spend less time listening to ourselves and way more time talking to ourselves. Now, not talking to ourselves the way my wife does. I mean, she carries on full conversations and you think, who's in there with her? But teaching ourselves the word of God, being so consumed with the truth of God, and then instead of listening to the voices in our head, we proclaim to our soul, this is true. Because God said it. This is where we want to get when things are hard, to get to that place of blessing the Lord, praising the Lord. Soul, praise the Lord. Thank him. Let everything within me rejoice in his goodness. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul, and here's the key, and forget none of his benefits. That's where we go wrong. This is where we set ourselves up for despair and downcast souls. We forget his benefits. Now, if you are going to be better than David's soul, how can you make sure you don't forgive his benefits? What do you need to do in order to remember things? What do you need to do? Write it down. And where do you write it down? What do you make? You make a list, right? My mom used to send my dad to the grocery store. And she would hand him a list. And he put the list in his pocket. And then he wouldn't take it out at the grocery store. And he would always come home missing things that were on the list and with things that were not on the list. And I've inherited that, so why am I, my wife doesn't let me go to the grocery store <laughs> anymore. You gotta write it down, you put it down so you have it laid out. Well, David understands this is what we need to do. So he goes on and he lists things in Psalm 23 uh, so he doesn't forget his benefits. Who pardons, talking about God, who pardons all your iniquities? How can you be downcast when you know every sin has been forgiven? Who heals all your diseases. Coronavirus does not have the last word. Or any other virus or sickness or cancer. Write it down. He heals your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness passion. Can you sit and dwell on these things and still have a downcast soul? Who satisfies your years with good things? So then you make a little sub list, right? You color code it. It's indented. A subset of this and you start writing down all the good things that he's done in your life. 
And you get to this one and you go, oh, he has satisfied me in so many ways. He's, he's met my needs and more, and here's a list. And then you're driven to gratitude and thanksgiving and worship. So that your youth is renewed like the eagle. So you, you are revived. You have energy no matter what your age. The more you ponder the Lord's blessing and goodness, you can't feel old in the way that hopeless people feel old. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all who are oppressed. You're being weighed down by your enemies. The Lord sees that. He knows that. He will vindicate you someday. He's made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. He's reflecting back on his history, what we call the Old Testament, the first seven, eight, nine books of the Bible. And he's reflecting on all the miraculous things that God did for the people of Israel and for Moses says, oh yeah, God did that. He'll take care of me now. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. I love that word, abounding, abundance. It means a lot, overflowing. God's loving kindness is not just a little bit. You know, like some of you, how you put whipped cream on your pumpkin pie? Right? That's not abounding. His loving kindness is not like that. It's like, no, it's like, psh, here, I'll just dole out a little bit. It's abundant and it overflows. You're just covered in his goodness if you're a Christian. Well, he goes on. And you can read the rest of the psalm. But David makes a list. Bless the Lord, O oh my soul. Forget none of his benefits. And here they are to remind him. Do you realize that even God sets reminders? God, who doesn't forget anything, God, who knows all that there is to know, sets reminders. Back in the early chapters of Genesis, after the fall, after man sins against God and the whole world becomes full of corrupt, wicked, violent people, God brings judgment on those wicked people. And he floods the earth literally with water. And he punishes everyone except Noah and his wife and his family. And after the waters recede and the ark settles down and the eight people, Noah's family, comes out, God puts a rainbow in the sky. And it's easy to think what God is doing there is saying to Noah and his family and all of us in perpetuity, every time you look at that rainbow, you will know that I will no longer destroy you. Because that's what he says. That's my promise. That's my covenant. I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore with water. But you know what? If you read the text, the rainbow is not put there for you and me. God says this, and it shall come about when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow will be seen in the cloud and I will remember my covenant. Not you remember my covenant. I will remember it. 
between me and you and every living creature of all flesh, and never again shall the water become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the cloud, then I, this is God speaking, I will look upon it to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. Isn't that amazing? God doesn't need reminders, and yet he sets one. And every time it rains and there's a rainbow, he looks at that and says, I promise not to destroy those people with water. I won't do it today. Well, we're studying Joshua. You thought I forgot, didn't you? And in Joshua chapter 4, God is very concerned that the people of Israel do not forget what he is doing for them. We looked last week, the people have crossed the Jordan River in miraculous fashion. The priests carried into the water, into the river, the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as their feet hit that water, God stopped the flow of the river, and the entire nation of Israel, millions of people, walked through on dry ground to the other side. And they had to do that because they were on one side of the river. The promised land was on the other side. There was no way to get to the promised land except through the river. And so God opens a doorway in the river so they can walk through. And God is very concerned that they don't forget his blessings. And so we read this in Joshua 4. Now when all the nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one man from each tribe, and command them saying, Take up for yourselves twelve stones from here out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the sons of Israel, one man from each tribe. And Joshua said to them, Cross again to the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan, and each of you take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. Let this be a sign among you, so that when your children ask later, saying, what do these stones mean to you? And you shall say to them, because the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, when it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall become a memorial to the sons of Israel forever. Do you see what God's great fear here is for Israel? Not so much that this generation would forget but the next generation would not know. Isn't this what happens so often? How easy it is 
for people to live through something. Think of World War II vets, for instance. It's all fresh in their mind. They experienced it. They were there. They understood what it was all about. But if they don't pass that on to their kids, then a generation or two, and it's, it's a distant memory. We as a nation are experiencing that right now in our country. We have an entire generation of people that really do not appreciate America's heritage. And I was one of those just 10 years ago or so. We, uh, we were taking a sabbatical, I forget, nine or 10 years ago, and we were homeschooling our kids, and we decided we were gonna take a, a tour of the East Coast, the Revolutionary War Tour is what I called it, and because we wanted our kids to, to, to experience some of those places and, and see some of the sights. And I realized as we were out setting out on this journey, I really didn't know anything. I mean, I'd been through high school, been through college. I got really good grades, mostly good grades. I didn't learn anything. At least I didn't remember it. I knew who George Washington was. He was our first president. And he wouldn't chop down the cherry tree and lie about it. I didn't know a whole lot more. So I started reading. And I couldn't put it down. Whoa. The more I dug in to see what was going on, what led to the Revolutionary War, it gripped me. And I read book after book after book. And we came back from the trip, and I read more books, more books, and more books. And some of you remember, like, every illustration for the next year was all about George Washington because it was just so captivating to me. It's one thing to read about it, but then to go see with your eyes some of the places where major things happened. We went to a place called Lexington Concord. Probably most of you know all about that. I didn't know all about that. At least I didn't remember it. And we, we went to the, the shop, you know, the, the, the little store there where they give you the history and you're going to walk along here and Paul Revere went this way and here's where some of the skirmishes were and all. It was great. It was very interesting. And then we got to what's called the Old North Bridge. Now, it's not the same bridge, I don't think. It's in really good shape if it is. But when we got there, we got to walk across the other side, and here's a little field leading up to a, a man's house and a barn, and over there's kind of this wooded area. As I was looking around at all this, kind of having in my mind the things I've been reading and what we just heard at the uh, little shop, I just stopped, and I'll, I'll never forget. I mean, I can see it as clear as, as you here right now. Looking and imagining the colonists on one side of the bridge and the redcoats on the other side and they're separated by just not very big distance what are you laughing about am i telling it wrong this is my story i can tell it and we don't know how many of them there were a few dozen on each side maybe with their muskets pointed at each other and you can feel the tension of that moment. Take one more step and we'll shoot. Surrender or we'll shoot. And I'm standing there near the bridge and I can see it all happening. And then I remember the story of the shot heard around the world. 
Was it on purpose? Was it a nervous finger? Was it a malfunction in the rifle? The stories contradict and conflict. But one gun was fired and off went the Revolutionary War. And I stood there and I just froze and I envisioned the whole thing and began to play in my mind what that led to. To where we are now. And I began to realize and have a visceral experience of that battle, that skirmish leading to the upcoming years and, and then remembering all that I'd read about Washington and leading the army and all the times they should have been defeated. There's no way America wins that war. But we did. I don't have a British accent. I can't even do a very good one. Being there and seeing that, and I was so glad my kids could be there. And I hope they'll go back someday and look at that. But we have forgotten that as a culture. And it shows. Well, as important as that is to me as an American, it's not worthy to be compared to forgetting the acts of God for the nation of Israel. So God says, Joshua, I want you guys in the middle of the river here, the dry bed, I want you to pick up stones, and they're big ones, put it on your shoulders, and go over and build, put it in a pile on this side of the Jordan. Now, I don't know how many of you men have tried to carry rocks, but, you know, you're not carrying this big of a rock. You're just not. So the pile couldn't have been that high for 12 of them because they were to put them on the shoulders. One man do it. But he wanted this pile of stones to be there as a lasting memorial so that future generations would ask about it. And here's how it was supposed to play out. Three or four generations down the road, a man is is telling his son, a Jewish man is telling his son about how God provided Canaan's land, the promised land, the milk and honey, the wealth and prosperity here. He's telling his young son the stories of old. And he says, son, your great-great-grandfather was one of those Israelites who came into the promised land, one of the soldiers who fought in the battle of Jericho and the battle of Ai and the battle of Mechadah and all of those. He's telling the stories and the boys going, whoa, grandpa did that? Great grandpa did that? Whoa, that's crazy. Was he a strong fighter? Was he a good fighter? And was he scared? And of course, dad says, yeah, he was scared. Every soldier is scared when you go into battle. Well, how did he keep going? Where did he get the, where did he get the strength to go in battle after battle? And, and Dad says, well, that's pretty simple, son. God was with them. And they knew God would give them victory. But Dad, how could they possibly know for sure that God would give them victory? He says, well, son, I want to... You know what? Go to bed. We're getting up early tomorrow pack a lunch, I want to show you something. And he walks him to that spot near the Jordan River, and he says, son, do you see that pile of stones? 
Let me tell you what happened, why those stones are there. Because before they marched into Jericho and, and God knocked down the walls, they came up to the edge of this river and there was no way to get across this river into the promised land. And then God said, take my ark into the water and I'm going to stop the flow of the river and you're going to walk through. And this little boy's eyes go, what? You can't just stop a river. You can't just stop a river. But God can. And he did. And when they got to the other side, he said, take a bunch of rocks and pile it up so that from now on, everybody will remember how God provided. If God can stop the Jordan River... He can handle everything else. You know the book that comes after Joshua in your Bible? It's the book of Judges. One year we thought it would be a good idea to go through the book of Judges in our small groups. Wasn't a great idea. I mean, it's inspired and all. It's a biblical book, of course. But you know what the recurring theme of the book of Judges is? There's actually two of them. There was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Just a few generations from Joshua, people forgot the Lord their God. And the stories of Judges is just this repeated cycle of God bringing judgment, the people crying out for help, God showing them grace, restoring their, their blessing. They all die, the deliverer dies, the next generation forgets God, and the cycle continues. And I just wonder, did any of them ever go back to the pile of rocks? And remember the benefits of God. We are people who need to make our lists. We need physical, visible, tangible reminders, something to call us back to God's goodness, or we forget. And then we find ourselves in despair and trouble. Well, when I think of memorial stones and I think of modern-day Christians who have memorial stones, there's one man in our body that I think of more than anybody else. And I've asked him to come and share whatever he feels like would be a benefit to us of his memorial stones to encourage us how the Lord reminds him of his benefits. Their chairman of our board, Jay Gupta. Jay, would you come? Good morning. God's memorial stones are very, very special. 
because those memorial stones remind us that in our utterly, utterly impossible circumstances, God is the one who provides. Can you imagine? Can you imagine when we hear about God parting the Red Sea? Can you imagine walking to the shore of the sea? And you look at how this is going to happen. Can you imagine the waters heaping up? I mean, I read in the Bible, I believe the word is true, but that is so beyond our understanding. But with God, nothing is impossible. The stories about God's memorial stones inspire awe. They inspire faith. They inspire in my heart praise, worship, and thanksgiving to God. And I would like to have an opportunity to share with you just a few of those memorial stones from my own life. And as I share those stones, you know, I'm very excited because this is a show and tell. Remember, they saw the stones and they said, tell us. So this is show and tell. So I'm going to do a show and tell of the memorial stones of God in my own life. These are memorial stones. Now remember, in the show and tell, when you see something, then what you do? You ask. So when I'm going to come, you have to remember, you have to ask. If you don't ask, how do I tell? So all right, we're going to go. So I'm going to show the first one, and then I'm going to have you do your part. So <laughs> let me tell you about that. I'm so excited to tell you about this you know, memorial stone in my life. Um, I grew up as a very loyal and devout Hindu, worshipping idols and putting my whole life's trust in believing that I can please and honor God by good karma, good works. And the reason I was very inspired by this monkey God, I worshipped him. At my early age, when I was a teenager, I came to America and I was told that you can only take just a very few things, just one suitcase. And in that suitcase was my price of brass idol and my holy book, brass idol of this monkey god and the holy book that was so important to me that I brought that with me. Now I'm seeing the look in your eyes when I talk about being an idol worshiper. Now remember, Father Abraham was also an idol worshiper. <laughs> So I grew up believing and then I please, trying to please God, but let me remind you. In Jeremiah 1.5 says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. In Galatians 1.15-16 reads, but when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, he was pleased to reveal his son to me. When I was in America in college, God placed in my way, brought into my life, several young people, godly Christian young people, those who became my friends. This young lady, she was a nursing student at one of the hospitals, and we met skating on the, in the skating rink. And uh, she befriended me, and she introduced me to many other young people. And then a worker of ISI, uh, he met me at my college, and in 1967, he gave me this book, The Inside Story. And this Bible has, this is a little bit unusual. The books in this Bible are Gospel of Luke, Gospel of John, the Apostles, the Acts, and the Romans. 
and the things that you see that I, I read my books with a pen in my hand and the underlining is in two books mostly the book of John and the book of Romans book of John John 3:16. I have known always that I can earn my salvation by doing good things and this one I came to read that book and realize that none of my works can ever please God nothing is good enough the only way for me was when he says in Romans that by grace, I never understood the grace. It was always the works. And that was a concept that just blew my mind and just blew my life. And ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, I, Lord Jesus Christ, came into my heart in 1967. And the life has never been the same. And I was inspired by this picture because this monkey God is opening his heart and saying, see my devotion. You can see, if you can open my heart, you can see that I have Lord Ram in my heart. And I can tell you this thing. If I had the ability to open my heart, you will see Jesus Christ lives in my heart. He's a living, holy son of God who paid his life. He paid the penalty for my sin. And now he's my Lord and Savior. Now ask me. Oh, I'm glad that you asked me. Let me tell you. My life was going very well. Everything was in place. Everything was good. Job was good. Beautiful home, car, everything I can imagine. I was minding my business. Then God says, go and create opportunities for making Jesus Christ known to influential leaders, businessmen, and professionals. I said, Lord, they won't listen to me. Remember that? Moses said that. Lord, they won't listen to me. I said, Lord, he told you that also. And you remember one thing. I remember Jonah's story. And knowing the story of Jonah, I said, rebellion would not be a good thing. I may end up in the belly of a tiger in India. <laughs> so I said, Lord, all right, what would I do? He said, I will send you a man from the moon that they will listen to him. I said, how would I find him? Who is this man? This man is... Astronaut Jim Irwin, who was on the Apollo 15 flight, he was the eighth person to walk on the moon, and this is what God did. He stranded both of us in a small airport for about four or five hours, so finally we sat and talked. So he said, what do you do? Why are you here? I said, I have Dr. Dwayne Gish with me, and I'm trying to reach business professionals and leadership in this country, and that's what I have brought him here for. So we had a nice conversation, had breakfast, we got in the plane, we are airborne, somebody taps on my shoulder. And he said, here's my card. I would be so delighted to be part of this thing. And I said, praise the Lord, because this is what I'm looking for, because God said that you, he will send a man from the moon who's going to do the talking with me. This is Jim Irwin, he's at the presidential palace in India, and we had the privilege in honor of sitting with the President of India for over 50 minutes. I thought it would be about five or 10 minutes, just a courtesy call. He said, this is a life dream come true. I want to hear from you. Jim Irwin is showing him the moon rock that he's brought back from the moon. And Jim, when he was showing the rocks and was telling, his life was changed by going to moon. He wrote a book about that. And he will often say that men walking on moon was not as important as Jesus Christ walking on this earth. He said, the rock that I brought is very special for the benefit of the mankind. But this rock is perishable. That's why NASA has put this inside the plastic encasement. 
I introduce you to the Lord Rock of my salvation, who takes the perishable lives and makes them whole. And then James is going to present to him, here the book, his testimony about how life changed when he went to the moon. And he presented that to the president. So when I'm shaking hands with him, he said, who brought him here? And I said, Mr. President, we bring people like Jim Irwin for the exchange of knowledge, skills, and values. He said, good job, keep it up. And as the president, we'll do that here. This is the audience where Maharaja's family is sitting. The very left hand in the front is the Maharaja's brother and his wife. The echelon, these are leaders, professionals, and intellectuals. This is where God wanted us to share the gospel. So, this stone is about God is the God of impossible. That he opened the doors for the spread of the gospel among the people. Those who I thought would be so impossible. God provided more. God provided people like Dr. Gish, Dr. Head, uh, Brother Ravi, Brother Christ come along. So God is the one who provides. Now you're going to ask me what are these memorial stores for? All right, let me show you this one. This is the picture of my family. My mom is sitting in the middle. We were serving in India, and my mom had lived with us before we went to India. And mom, we shared the gospel with her for many, many, many years. Her biggest challenge was that if I turned to Christianity, I will turn my back on my people and they will just, you know, they will really be annoyed and they'll be just, how can you do this thing? So we, in my mind, I was saying there's no way mom can be reached. That nothing can be done to reach mom. Mom is one of those people that would never be saved. We went to India, we get the message from my brother, my brother in Chicago let us know the news. The mom had been diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And she was given three months to live. We said, we'll come back. We wanted to show our love. We wanted to show our care. And we also wanted to share the gospel with her, the Lord Jesus Christ. During, during those three months, I brought a Bible back from India in the Hindi language. And we'll sit. I had a captive audience. Mom couldn't go anywhere. So I had a captive audience, I would read the Bible to her. And after reading the Bible, one morning I woke up and I said to Linda, I said, you should go down and ask mom. I've been reading the Bible to her, what does she think about that? And she said, you know, exactly the same thing. I was going to ask you that we should go down and talk to her. So I said, let's just go. So we come down after, you know, spending time with her. We said, mom, we have been reading the Bible to you. What do you think? And she said, you know, I'm so regretful. I said, for what? She said, I just have not gone to church. I really have not been faithful and loyal. I said, Mom, that has nothing to do with it. I said, Mom, if you open your heart and ask Lord Jesus Christ to forgive your sins and ask him to come in your heart, he will come into your heart. He'll be your Lord and Savior. She said, I'm ready. Before, about five months before she went to be with the Lord, she opened her heart and received the Lord Jesus Christ. So there's a memorial stone of God's redemption story, God's faithfulness, and God's provision. So the God that we serve, he is the God who stands alongside with us. He parts the Red Sea. He dries up the water in the Jordan. God is the God who is so faithful. He provides for us in our most impossible circumstances. So he can receive all the glory. He can receive all the praise, all the worship. And so let's do that. Let's bow our heads to give him praise, glory, and worship. Lord God, 
what a joy it is to talk about your memorial stones in our lives. You have been so faithful in providing for us. Father, everything that has come about, Lord, you have always been so faithful. Your mercies are new every morning. Lord, we thank you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the blessings and Father, the hope that we receive. Lord, we thank you for your eternal love, boundless grace, infinite compassion, agony, cross, redemption, adoption, and the blessed hope. We love you with our, all our heart. For your mercy is new every morning, Lord. Father, at your throne of grace, we receive mercy in time of our need. Help us, Lord, to leave our concerns at your feet. For you are the gracious, merciful God who provides amazingly. You have given us the greatest gift in the person of your son, and in him you provide all that we need. Father, we praise you for your gracious provisions and protection for our missionaries serving you in many, many countries. Lord, we thank you for your faithful ministry to our brother and sister, Daryl and Carolyn Platt, for many, many decades of service that they have provided, Lord. Lord, sustain them, protect them, watch over them, and minister your blessings to them, Lord, as they faithfully continue to serve you in their senior years. Father, bless your people who give so faithfully and cheerfully for all the ministries of FRAC. Lord, we just commit them to you, and Father, we just pray that you'll use the resources for the praise and glory of your name. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God be the honor and glory forever and ever. Amen.